chapter seventeen of imperium in imperio by sutton griggs this librivox recording is in the public domain crossing the rubicon bernard assumed the presidency of the imperium and was duly inaugurated in a manner in keeping with the importance of his high office he began the direction of its affairs with such energy and tactful discretion as betokened great achievements he familiarized himself with every detail of his great work and was thoroughly posted as to all the resources at his command he devoted much time to assuaging jealousies and healing breaches wherever such existed in the ranks of the imperium he was so gentle so loving yet so firm and impartial that all factional differences disappeared at his approach added to his great popularity because of his talents there sprang up for him personal attachments marvellous in depth he rose to the full measure of the responsibilities of his commanding position and more than justified the fondest anticipations of his friends and admirers in the meanwhile he kept an observant eye upon the trend of events in the united states and his fingers were ever on the pulse of the imperium all of the evils complained of by the imperium continued unabated in fact they seemed to multiply and grow instead of diminishing bernard started a secret newspaper whose business it was to chronicle every fresh discrimination every new act of oppression every additional unlawful assault upon the property the liberty or the lives of any of the members of the imperium this was an illustrated journal and pictures of horrors commented upon in burning words spread firebrands everywhere in the ranks of the imperium only members of the imperium had access to this fiery journal at length an insurrection broke out in cuba and the whole imperium watched this struggle with keenest interest as the cubans were in a large measure negroes in proportion as the cubans drew near to their freedom the fever of hope correspondingly rose in the veins of the imperium the united states of america sent a warship to cuba one night while the sailors slept in fancied security some powerful engine of destruction demolished the vessel and ended the lives of some two hundred and sixty-six american seamen a board of inquiry was sent by the united states government to the scene of the disaster and after a careful investigation of a most thorough character decided that the explosion was not internal and accidental but external and by design this finding made war between the united states and spain practically inevitable while the whole nation was in the throes of war excitement a terrible tragedy occurred president mckinley had appointed mr felix a cook a colored man of ability culture and refinement as postmaster of lake city south carolina the white citizens of this place made no protest against the appointment and all was deemed satisfactory one morning the country awoke to be horrified with the news that mr cook's home had been assaulted at night by a mob of white demons in human form the mob set fire to the house 
while the occupants slept and when mr cook with his family endeavoured to escape from the flames he was riddled with bullets and killed and his wife and children were wounded and the sole offence for which this dastardly crime was perpetrated was that he decided to accept the honour which the government conferred upon him in appointing him postmaster of a village of three hundred inhabitants it was the colour of his skin that made this acceptance odious in the eyes of his anglo-saxon neighbours this incident naturally aroused as much indignation among the members of the imperium as did the destruction of the warship in the bosoms of the anglo-saxons of the united states all things considered bernard regarded this as the most opportune moment for the imperium to meet and act upon the whole question of the relationship of the negro race to the anglo-saxons the congress of the imperium was called and assembled in special session at the capitol building just outside of waco the session began on the morning of april the same day in which the congress of the united states had under consideration the resolutions the adoption of which meant war with spain these two congresses on this same day had under consideration questions of vital import to civilization the proceedings of the anglo-saxons have been told to the world in minute detail but the secret deliberations of the imperium are herein disclosed for the first time the exterior of the capital at waco was decorated with american flags and red white and blue bunting passers-by commented on the patriotism of jefferson college but enveloped in this decoration there was cloth of the colour of mourning the huge weeping willows stood one on each side of the speaker's desk to the right of the desk there was a group of women in widow's weeds sitting on an elevated platform there were fifty of these their husbands having been made the victims of bombs since the first day of january just gone to the left of the speaker's desk there were huddled one hundred children whose garments were in tatters and whose looks bespoke lives of hardship these were the offsprings robbed of their parents by the brutish cruelty of unthinking mobs postmaster cook while alive was a member of the imperium and his seat was now empty and draped in mourning in the seat was a golden casket containing his heart which had been raked from the burning embers on the morning following the night of the murderous assault it was amid such surrounding as these that the already aroused and determined members of the congress assembled promptly at eleven o'clock speaker belton piedmont took the chair he rapped for order and the chaplain offered a prayer in which he invoked the blessings of god upon the negro race at the most important crisis in its history word was sent by proper committee across the campus informing the president that congress was in session awaiting his further pleasure according to custom the president came in person to orally deliver his message he entered in the rear of the building and marched forward the congress arose and stood with bowed heads as he passed through the speaker's desk was moved back as a sign of the president's superior position and directly in the centre of the platform the president stood to speak he was dressed in a prince albert suit of finest black he wore a standing collar and a necktie snowy white the hair was combed away from that noble brow of his and his handsome face showed that he was nerved for what he regarded as the effort of his life in his fierce determined glance you could discover that latent fires hitherto unsuspected even in his warm bosom had been aroused the old man was to speak that day and he spoke we can give you his words but not his speech man can photograph the body 
but in the photograph you can only glimpse the soul words can portray the form of a speech but the spirit the life are missing and we turn away disappointed that sweet well-modulated voice full of tender pathos of biting sarcasm of withering irony of swelling rage of glowing fervour according as the occasion demanded was a most faithful vehicle to bernard conveying fully every delicate shade of thought the following gives you but a faint idea of his masterly effort in proportion as you can throw yourself into his surroundings and feel as he had felt the iron in his soul to that extent will you be able to realize how much power there was in what is now to follow the president's message two terrible and discordant sounds have burst forth upon the erstwhile quiet air and now fill your bosom with turbulent emotions one is the blast of the bugle fierce and loud calling us to arms against a foreign nation to avenge the death of american seamen and to carry the cup of liberty to a people perishing for its healing draught the other is the crackling of a burning house in the night's dead hours the piteous cries of pain and terror from the lips of wounded babes the despairing heart-rending maddening shrieks of the wife and mother the harrowing groans of the dying husband and father and the gladsome shout of the fiendish mob of white american citizens who have wrought the havoc just described a deed sufficiently horrible to make satan blush and hell hastily hide her face in shame i deem this my fellow-countrymen as an appropriate time for us to consider what shall be our attitude immediate and future to this anglo-saxon race which calls upon us to defend the fatherland and at the same moment treats us in a manner to make us execrate it let us then this day decide what shall be the relations that shall henceforth exist between us and the anglo-saxon race of the united states of america seven million eyes are riveted upon you hoping that you will be brave and wise enough to take such action as will fully atone for all the horrors of the past and secure for us every right due to all honorable loyal law-abiding citizens of the united states pleadingly they look to you to extract the error of shame which hangs quivering in every bosom shame at continued humiliation unavenged in order to arrive at a proper conclusion as to what the duty of the hour is it would be well to review our treatment received at the hands of the anglo-saxon race and note the position that we are now sternly commanded by them to accept when this is done to my mind the path of duty will be as plain before our eyes as the path of the sun across the heavens i shall therefore proceed to review our treatment and analyze our present condition in so far as it is traceable to the treatment which we now receive from the anglo-saxon when in sixteen nineteen our forefathers landed on the american shore the music of welcome with which they were greeted was the clanking of iron chains ready to fetter them the crack of the whip to be used to plough furrows in their backs and the yelp of the bloodhound who was to bury his fangs deep into their flesh in case they sought for liberty such was the music with which the anglo-saxon came down to the shore to extend a hearty welcome to the forlorn children of night brought from a benighted heathen land to a community of christians the negro was seized and forced to labor hard that the anglo-saxon might enjoy rest and ease while he sat in his cushioned chair in his luxurious home and dreamed of the blessedness of freedom 
the enforced labor of slaves felled the forest trees cleared away the rubbish planted the seed and garnered the ripened grain receiving therefore no manner of pay no token of gratitude no word of coldest thanks that same hammer and anvil that forged the steel sword of the anglo-saxon with which he fought for freedom from england's yoke also forged the chain that the anglo-saxon used to bind the negro more securely in the thraldom of slavery for two hundred and forty-four years the anglo-saxon imposed upon the hapless helpless negro the bondage of abject slavery robbed him of the just recompense of his unceasing toil treated him with the utmost cruelty kept his mind shrouded in the dense fog of ignorance denied his poor sinful soul access to the healing word of god and while the world rolled on to joy and light the negro was driven cowering and trembling back back into the darkest corners of night's deepest gloom and when at last the negro was allowed to come forth and gaze with the eyes of a free man on the glories of the sky even this holy act the freeing of the negro was a matter of compulsion and has but little if anything in it demanding gratitude except such gratitude as is due to be given unto god for the emancipation proclamation as we all know came not so much as a message of love for the slave as a message of love for the union its primary object was to save the union its incident to liberate the slave such was the act which brought to a close two hundred and forty-four years of barbarous maltreatment and inhuman oppression after all these years of unremitting toil the negro was pushed out into the world without one morsel of food one cent of money one foot of land naked and unarmed he was pushed forward into a dark cavern and told to beard the lion in his den in childlike simplicity he undertook the task soon the air was filled with his agonizing cries for the claws and teeth of the lion were ripping open every vein and crushing every bone in this hour of dire distress the negro lifted up his voice in loud long piteous wails calling upon those for help at whose instance and partially for whose sake he had dared to encounter the deadly foe these whilom friends rushed with a loud shout to the cavern's mouth but when they saw the fierce eyes of the lion gleaming in the dark and heard his fearful growl this loud shout suddenly died away into a feeble cowardly whimper and these boastful creatures at the crackling of a dry twig turned and scampered away like so many jack-rabbits having thus briefly reviewed our past treatment at the hand of the anglo-saxon we now proceed to consider the treatment which we receive at his hands to-day the industrial situation during the long period of slavery the negro race was not allowed to use the mind as a weapon in the great battle for bread the anglo-saxon said to the negro in most haughty tones in this great battle for bread you must supply the brute force while i will supply the brain if you attempt to use your brain i will kill you and before i will stoop so low as to use my own physical power to earn my daily bread i will kill myself this edict of the anglo-saxon race issued in the days of slavery is yet in force in a slightly modified form he yet flees from physical exertion as though it were the leprosy itself and yet violently pushes the negro into that from which he has so precipitately fled crying in a loud voice unclean unclean if forced by circumstances to resort to manual labor he chooses the higher forms of this where skill is the main factor but he will not labor even here with the negro but drives him out and bars the door he will contribute the public funds to educate the negro and then exert every possible influence to keep the negro from earning a livelihood by means of that education 
it is true that in the goodness of his heart he will allow the negro community to have a negro preacher teacher doctor pharmacist and jack-leg lawyer but further than this he will not go practically all of the other higher forms of labor are hermetically sealed so far as the negro is concerned thus like tantalus of old we are placed in streams of water up to our necks but when we stoop down to drink thereof the waters recede luscious fruit tempting to the eye and pleasing to the taste is placed above our heads only to be wafted away by the winds of prejudice and when like tantalus we reach up to grasp and eat our civil rights an italian a frenchman a german a russian a chinaman and a swede come let us suppose on a visit to our country as they draw near our public parks they look up and see placards forbidding somebody to enter these places they pause to read the signs to see who it is that is forbidden to enter unable to understand our language they see a negro child returning from school and they call the child to read and interpret the placard it reads thus negroes and dogs not allowed in here the little negro child whose father's sweaty unrequited toil cleared the spot whereon the park now stands loiters outside of the wicker gate in company with the dogs of the foreigners and gazes wistfully through the cracks at the children of these strangers sporting on the lawn this is but a fair sample of the treatment which our race receives everywhere in the south if we enter a place where a sign tells us that the public is served we do not know whether we are to be waited upon or driven out like dogs and the most shameful and hopeless feature connected with the question of our civil rights is that the supreme court has lent its official sanction to all such acts of discrimination the highest court in the land is the chief bulwark of caste prejudice in democratic america education the race that thinks of us and treats us as we have just indicated has absolute charge of the education of our children they pay our teachers poorer salaries than they do their own they give us fewer and inferior school buildings and they make us crawl in the dust before the very eyes of our children in order to secure the slightest concessions they attempt to muzzle the mouths of negro teachers and he who proclaims too loudly the doctrine of equality as taught by thomas jefferson will soon be in search of other employment thus they attempt to cripple our guides so that we may go forward at a feeble pace our children early in life learn of our maltreatment and having confidence in the unused strength of their parents urge us to right our wrongs we listen to their fiery words and gaze in fondness on their little clenched fists we then bow our heads in shame and lay bare to them the chains that yet hold our ankles though the world has pronounced us free in school they are taught to bow down and worship at the shrine of the men who died for the sake of liberty and day by day they grow to disrespect us their parents who have made no blow for freedom but it will not always be thus courts of justice colored men are excluded from the jury box colored lawyers are discriminated against at the bar and negroes with the highest legal attainments are not allowed to even dream of mounting the seat of a judge before a court that has been lifted into power by the very hands of prejudice justice need not be expected the creature will presumably serve its creator this much the creator demands we shall mention just one fact that plainly illustrates the character of the justice to be found in our courts if a negro murders an anglo-saxon however justifiably let him tremble for his life if he is to be tried in our courts on the other hand if an anglo-saxon murders a negro in cold blood without the slightest provocation he will if left to the pleasure of our courts die of old age and go down to his grave in perfect peace a court that will thus carelessly dabble and play in puddles of human blood needs no further comment at my hands mob law the courts of the land are the facile instruments of the anglo-saxon race they register its will as faithfully as the thermometer does the slightest caprice of the weather and yet the poor boon of a trial in even such courts as these has denied the negro 
even when his character is being painted with hell's blacking and charges that threaten his life are being laid at his door he is allowed no chance to clear his name no opportunity to bid a friend good-bye no time to formulate a prayer to god about this way of dealing with criminals there are three horrible features first innocent men are often slain and forced to sleep eternally in dishonoured graves secondly when men who are innocent are thus slain the real culprits are left behind to repeat their deeds and thus continue to bring reproach upon the race to which they belong thirdly illegal execution always begets sympathy in the hearts of our people for a criminal however dastardly may be his crime thus the execution loses all of its moral force as a deterrent that wrath that eloquence which would all be used in abuse of the criminal is divided between him and his lynchers thus the crime for which the man suffers is not dwelt upon with that unanimity to make it sufficiently odious and as a consequence lynching increases crime and too under the operation of the lynch law the criminal knows that any old tramp is just as liable as himself to be seized and hanged this occurs practice instead of decreasing grows in extent year by year since the close of the civil war no less than sixty thousand of our comrades innocent of all crime have been hurried to their graves by angry mobs and to-day their widows and orphans and their own departed spirits cry out to you to avenge their wrongs woe unto that race whom the tears of the widows the cries of starving orphans the groans of the innocent dying and the gaping wounds of those unjustly slain accused before a righteous god politics governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed these words were penned by the man whom the south has taught us to revere as the greatest and noblest of american statesmen whether those who are now alive or those who are dead we speak of thomas jefferson they have taught us that he was too wise to err and that his sayings are truth incarnate they are ready to anathematize any man in their own ranks who will decry the self-evident truths which he uttered the bible which the white people gave us teaches us that we are men the declaration of independence which we behold them wearing over their hearts tells us that all men are created equal if as the bible says we are men if as jefferson says all men are equal if as he further states governments derive all just powers from the consent of the governed then it follows that the american government is in duty bound to seek to know our will as respects the laws and the men who are to govern us but instead of seeking to know our will they employ every device that human ingenuity can contrive to prevent us from expressing our opinion the monarchical treat seems not to have left their blood they have apparently chosen our race as an empire and each anglo-saxon regards himself as a petty king and some gang or, or community of negroes as his subjects thus our voice is not heard in the general government our kings the anglo-saxons speak for us their slaves in some states we are deprived of our right to vote by frauds in others by violence and in yet others by statutory enactment but in all cases it is most effectually done burdens may be put upon our shoulders that are weighing us down but we have no means of protesting men who administer the laws may discriminate against us to an outrageous degree but we have no power to remove or to punish them like lean hungry dogs we must crouch beneath our master's table and snap eagerly at the crumbs that fall if in our scramble for these crumbs we make too much noise we are violently kicked and driven out of doors where in the sleet and snow we must whimper and whine until late the next morning when the cook opens the door and we can then crouch down in the corner of the kitchen oh my comrades we cannot longer endure our shame and misery we can no longer lay supinely down upon our backs and let oppression dig his iron heel in our upturned pleading face until perchance the pity of a bystander may meekly request him to desist fellow-countrymen we must be free the sun that bathes our land in light yet rises and sets upon a race of slaves the question remaining before us then is how we are to obtain this freedom 
in olden times revolutions were effected by the sword and spear in modern times the ballot has been used for that purpose but the ballot has been snapped from our hands the modern implement of revolutions has been denied us i need not say more your minds will lead you to the only gate left open but this much i will say let not so light so common so universal a thing as that which we call death be allowed to frighten you from the path that leads to true liberty and absolute equality let that which under any circumstances must come to one and all be no terror to you to the martyr who perishes in freedom's cause death comes with a beauteous smile and with most tender touch but to the man whose blood is nothing but sour swill who prefers to stay like fattening swine until pronounced fit for the butcher's knife to such death comes with a most horrifying visage and seizing the victim with cold and clammy hands hurries with his disgusting load to some far-away dumping-ground how glad i am i that i can glance over this audience and see written upon your faces utter disdain of death in concluding let me say i congratulate you that after years of suffering and disunion our faces are now all turned toward the golden shores of liberty's lovely land some tell us that a sea is in our way so deep that we cannot cross let us answer back in joyful tones as our vessels push out from the shore that our clotted blood shed in the middle of the sea will float to the other side even if we do not reach there ourselves others tell us that towering snow-capped mountains enclose the land to this we answer if we die on the mountain side we shall be shrouded in sheets of white as snow and all generations of men yet to come upon the earth will have to gaze upward in order to see our whitened forms let us then at all hazards strike a blow for freedom if it calls for a thermopylae be free if it calls for a valley forge be free if contending for our rights given unto us by god causes us to be slain let us perish on the field of battle singing as we pass out of the world sweet freedom's song through every word of this soul-inspiring hymn must come forth wrapped in our hearts warm blood gentlemen of the imperium imperio i await your pleasure End of chapter seventeen